Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. We're going to be in verse uh, 47, straight through 58. We're going to finish, finish it today. It begins with the parable of the net. So it says, once again, the kingdom of, the, of heaven, the kingdom of the heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus said? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, he, isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. I got to be honest, I understand this because I don't get the respect I deserve with my sisters and with my mother. Um, you're the only one here. I'm sorry. I meant to chide everyone. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's not true. Uh, so in the last few verses, when we've been going through 13, uh, we've been looking at this chapter. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. Um, he's continuing to talk about the kingdom of heaven here, but he talked about how we have to take hold of it like the man who found the treasure in the field. He tells us it grows unseen, but will grow across the world. And he's warned us against the coming judgment at the end with the parable of the wheat and tares. And now again, he talks about the judgment at the end in a very similar parable that um, I, last week we talked about when there's two parables that are very similar back to back, they may be telling us different parts of a whole but when they happen in different places, most of the time he's just saying the same thing just to a different crowd of people in a different area who might understand something a little bit differently. So this time he's talking about fishing rather than harvesting or uh, farming. Um, and it's so strange as we read this. It's strange to me that people can read the Bible and then claim that hell doesn't exist. Because um, Jesus, as he talks about the kingdom, as he talks about the kingdom of heaven, as he continues to talk about separation and the kingdom of heaven, he does talk about after the separation, there is another place where others who are not in the kingdom will go. And as we all know, that's the house where they were killed, where they reside until, I'm just kidding. Um, so he tells us the others will be thrown into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, the weeping represents great sorrow and great pain, while the gnashing of teeth represents great anxiety. Okay, sorrow, pain, great anxiety. And then Jesus concludes these parables by saying two things to the disciples. He asks them if they understand, and he tells them that every teacher of the law or every scribe who has become a disciple is like an owner of a house who will bring out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So when Jesus speaks of a storeroom, 
most of the time, he's usually talking about the heart, okay? I lowered the percentage there by saying most of the time he usually, okay? Lowered the percentage of the time. So he's saying the disciple will bring forth treasures, both new and old, out of his heart. His heart will bring forth good things. But we have to know what these new things are and what these old things are. He says a teacher of the law or a scribe. This is someone who is well acquainted with the Old Testament, who teaches the Old Testament, okay? And so when they become a disciple of Jesus, this this means one who knows the Old Testament and then takes hold of the truth of the New Testament. Together, they bring forth treasures, both new and old, both treasures and wisdom from the Old Testament and the New Testament, old truths and new truths, okay? So it's important for us to study the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? There are many people who just do the New Testament, okay? And I'm not saying the New Testament isn't a great place for new Christians to get started, to understand Jesus, but as Christians, we cannot just read the New Testament, okay? We're supposed to know the Old Testament and the New Testament by heart, okay? And we're quizzed on it at the gates of heaven, all right? So better get started. No, I'm just kidding, but we're supposed to know it, all right? And then some people only study the Old Testament, and don't really study the New Testament because they don't believe in Jesus, but they believe in God. And this is how Satan works. He's so conniving to get us to believe in half-truths, right? And half-truths are still lies, okay? We've all told half-truths, right? And they're the best lies, right? Because you can get it. If there's some truth in there, it's believable. And that, that's what the devil does. So we are to study the entire Bible. And when we understand it, we further understand God and his son, We can bring forth out of our heart treasures, both new and old. And you might think that you, as you read the Bible, you might think this is difficult. I'm never going to understand this. This is like the wording of this, the concepts. I, I, I don't know if I'm wise enough to understand the Bible. And sometimes we look down on ourselves We think we're missing something. Sometimes we can think God doesn't love us because he's not revealing things when we don't understand the word and we give up. We don't think we'll ever understand it. But Jesus, this is so like heartwarming to me that Jesus asks them, because he puts it pretty simply, right? It's a pretty simple parable. He's being on their level. And then he says, do you understand? Because he wants them to understand. And if they had answered, no, Lord, we don't understand, he would have probably gone on further and simplified it further because he wants them to understand, just like he wants us to understand. As you're reading your Bible, as you're, as you're, Uh, listening to the Bible uh, by um, those like reading things like audiobooks. God wants you to understand. Jesus wants you to understand, okay? So don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. When you read the Bible, if you don't understand something, just, just imagine that God is there and say, I don't understand. Lord, I don't understand. Will you reveal this to me? And he will reveal it to you. Might not be in that moment. He might be like, well, let me explain it to you. But he might put you in a situation to bring someone into your life. Something happens that actually helps in your understanding of that concept. He wants you to understand. But the thing is, we have to want to understand. And we have to ask, okay? It's a very simple thing, but something that sometimes we don't really want to do, okay? I mean, we all know this. You remember when you were in school? 
and the teacher like would teach a concept and at the end be like, does everyone understand? Before we move on, does everyone understand? How many people raised their hand and said, I don't understand, right? Only the idiots. No, I'm just kidding. I would never raise my hand because I was like, even if I didn't understand, I was like, I don't understand, but I'm tired of listening to you talk. So let's move on. Maybe we can get out of class early, right? And, and, and when anyone did understand, or, so, or people didn't want to feel stupid, and when everyone said, I don't understand, everyone was like, ugh, what an idiot, right? But, but really, we were like, well, good, because I didn't really understand it either, but, you know? But that person, to fully understand it, had to admit, I don't understand. I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? And we, we can do the same thing with Jesus. We just need to understand. He wants us to understand. He wants us to get his word, to get what he's saying, Okay? But to have complete understanding, we have to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And not only that, even if you're looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament for a concept, you have to look at them like if I grab a verse from the New Testament, I can't just stick with one verse and then take it out of context and just grab that one verse and base my whole thought on, on an entire concept on that one verse, okay? I should look at the other verses too to see if there's anything to, to get a complete picture of what's happening because that's how, that's how we make errors. That's how we get misinterpretations by just taking one verse and saying like, this is, that's it. There we go, okay? And I, and I say that because even though this is a pretty simple parable, I have read uh, some misinterpretations, okay? And, I, and I've read it often um, by people who I assume are smarter than me, Okay? But upon reading what they wrote, I know that they are idiots. Um, but I want to read that parable again before we dive in. And I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about this misinterpretation. Um, but let's read that parable again before we dive in. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. So this parable is obviously one that the disciples would have understood, right? Because some of them are fishermen. Um, And there are two ways to fish with nets, right? There might be more nowadays, more than two ways. But then there were, right? Was there more than two ways? Look, All right. But there's two ways back then, okay? They would, uh, they would use a casting net. You might have seen this at the beach um, or someone's just walking around with a net. You see, a lot of times they use it for like bait fish. Um, and like you see a little school and so you would cast the net. We see, we see the disciples do this by throwing off the side of the boat. Where you're fishing for something specific, you see it, you throw at it, okay? I, I see this all the time when I'm at, I don't know if you guys see it, but whenever like oh, the other day we're like Sebastian Inlet and someone's walking around with a casting net. Um, but, but people who are doing that are always pointing. They're always just like with the casting net, and they're like, and when they're pointing, everyone's like, what? Like, all you have to do is point at the water, and everyone's like, what is it? What is in there? What's, what is it? Is that a manatee? I mean, swim away as fast as you can. Um, I'll save you. I won't tell that story. I had a thought, too. Um, so with, but with a casting net, you see what you want, you throw at it, and you get exactly what you desire, okay? The other method, someone would stand on the shore, and then someone would get in a boat, take the other end out, and then they would like walk along the shore. They would bring the boat in, okay? And there's weights on the bottom of the net and there's floats on the top so that everything that they pass, 
they pick up, okay? And that's, that's the type of fishing, the type of net that Jesus is talking about. It's indiscriminate in, in what it catches, okay? So then when you fish that way, not knowing what you're going to get, you pull it all to shore um, and separate it. And the Sea of Galilee, where they are and where these fishermen um, do their trade and understand, there's a significant number of catfish, okay, which the Jews could not eat. They could not eat catfish. So they, they're understanding, yeah, because when we think of it, we might think of like, oh, they're tossing the fish that are, that are too small, right? And that doesn't really work with the analogy. You can't be like, oh, you're too small for heaven. You've got to go to hell. But then when you grow up, you can maybe come to heaven. That's not the analogy, okay? They, they're understanding this is catfish. These are dirty fish. These are fish they cannot eat. Okay, so they would separate um, the catfish from the, and whatever other types of fish from the fish that were edible, that were permissible to eat by God's law. Okay, they had to be sorted out. This is what the disciples are hearing. This is what they're understanding. Okay, but this parable is talking about the entire world. Okay, at the end of the age. He's talking about the separation of those who are good and those who are evil in the world. He's talking about a day of judgment. And some people, um, some interpretations say that Jesus um, is talking about the church. He's talking about the church. They say, oh, and then if you use the analogy this way, it's like, yeah, there's going to be good people in the church. There's going to be evil people in the church. And in the end, God will separate them out. But it's not our job or our duty to, to, to do any of the separation, okay? But God will, will do. We're all good. There's be good people. There'll be evil people. P- point to your neighbor, say, are you evil? No, I'm just kidding. Um, and at the end of the age, God will, will do the separating. But we're not to do the separating, okay? Only God can do that at the end. Only God can judge, right? And there are certainly other verses in the Bible that we could use to support not judging whether someone was good or evil within the church. And we're going to read quite a few verses out of our Bible today as we talk about this. Uh, but the first one, maybe we could use John three seventeen, and I'm just going to go through some verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery in John 8, 3 says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst, and place, placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. We know that one. Romans 2.1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. 1 Corinthians 4.5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Romans 2.1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And Matthew 7.1.5. 
Judge not that you be not judged. This must have come from the King James Version. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we look at all those verses, and that could... We could say, okay, so if it is talking about the church, yeah, it's just saying let things ride. We're not, we're not to judge each other. If you, if you judge someone, he who is without sin casts the first stone. If you judge someone, you're condemning yourself because you do the same things. And so it seems like, yeah, that, that makes total sense. But, and this is why we have to look at the entirety of the Bible, because it can be pretty confusing sometimes. So Matthew 7, it says, and this is in the same, that one I just read, about uh, taking this, the speck out of um, someone else, else's eye before, and you have the log in your eye. That's, math, that's in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And in Matthew 7, 15, the same chapter, it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So by this verse, it's telling us we are to make judgments if prophets are real or false, right? In 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3, it says, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? So here it says that we are to judge disputes between church members. Who wants that job? Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions, and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you are, you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So this tells us to look out for those who would cause division within the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 5, looking for kids. All right, 1 Corinthians 5, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality. This is a letter written to the church. This is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. This is not his mom. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who was doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. 
Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And I've said this because we're going to expel someone today. I'm just kidding. But, but it tells us to expel someone. He says, he says don't, I'm not judging the world for being sexually immoral. We're, we're judging someone within the church. And he keeps saying, it's kind of weird, he keeps saying, this, he's, he's sexually immoral, sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. And you boast about it. Why, why would they be boasting about it? How could you boast about that? Like, I mean, how would that come up conversation? Be like, oh, what's, what's happening in your church? Be like, well, let me tell you about it. Um, we are doing so much ministry in the community. What are you guys doing? Be like, we got a guy sleeping with his father's wife. I'm like, praise God. Praise God. Why would they boast about this unless they're saying, yeah, and we're just, we're just loving them, and we're just, we're just letting them do their thing, and just God's going to bring them around, and we're just, you know, we're not condemning them. We're not judging them. What, what else will they have to, to boast about or to turn that into a good thing? That's kind of a, because he doesn't just say sexually immoral. He says we're not to judge people outside the church, but we're to expel someone who's living in sin as a brother or sister and will not repent, who wears the skin but not the heart of a believer. And that's New Testament. That's not Old Testament, okay? Sometimes come write things off, be like, well, that's the old that's the old covenant, the new covenant. We, we, we can do that. And there are other verses concerning church matters like this, but this one says, expel them from the church, which doesn't, judgment is a, is, is a rough topic, right? We, I mean, what happens? Christians have a reputation of, their, of being judgmental, right? You say, oh, you're judgmental. It's bad, right? And so there's this tricky thing where it's like, how, how, how are we to judge? Like, he is saying to make some judgments, but it's saying not to judge or you condemn yourself. It's very confusing. How, how do we do this, right? It, it doesn't, and I think we kind of have a twisted view within the church of how we are to govern ourselves, how we are to view each other, when we are to speak, when we're not to speak. How does this work, okay? It's very confusing. Um, and I think it's come down to this. We don't want to seem judgmental, okay? And so we don't want to cast judgment within the church. So we don't want to say anything. We keep the peace. We keep quiet. And I think because of this, we've allowed the church, we've allowed people in leadership in the church because we don't want to say anything. 
right? I mean, if you look at all these um, people who have fallen, pastors who have fallen, I'm not, saying they weren't like, I'm not saying they were like that at the beginning, but they begin to make a mistake. And somebody afterwards, somebody knows. They come out on a podcast, you know, or they come out and be like, let me tell you the story. We had people knew this. The staff knew this, you know. And no one ever said anything. No one brought it up. No one said, hey, brother, hey, sister, I feel like this, is, this could lead to a negative place. I feel like this could lead you astray. We just, and sometimes if you're the person that does that, they're like, well, this staff member is walking away from the church this week. They found a new opportunity elsewhere, you know, and that's what people are afraid of. And so what happens to the church is another verse that I take very seriously, Ezekiel 3.18. Listen to this. It says, when I say to a wicked person, you will surely die. This is God talking and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. That's interesting. And that's the reason. Um, it's a big deal to me. It's a big deal. Like, anything I say up here is, is a big deal. Mostly because I'm very important. No, it's a big deal. And it's important I say the right things and not the wrong things. I don't want to lead people astray because I don't want to be held accountable. And the one beautiful thing about going straight through the Bible is you cannot avoid anything. You can't avoid anything. So it's always funny. I, ever, ever since I've gone through the Bible, someone has been like, did you know what happened to me this week? Were you preaching at me? It was just like one of those sermons that you came at me because you knew something. I was like, that was the next verse. That was what was there. So that was God speaking to you. I, I, I don't dictate what I'm going to talk about each week, and I don't skip. I can't skip anything. We can't, we can't keep away from the hard topics. I wish I could. be great. Not really. Sorry, Lord. Being true. But when we know the truth, it says we are to warn others. We can't say, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. You'll be fine. Yeah, that's not a sin. I know the Bible says it's a sin, but I don't, but not anymore. Church culture's changed. And then when we do, when we say something like that and make I, 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 that's very serious. If someone's standing before God thinking they're in right standing, but they've been in sin and I've been in their life and could have warned them or told them this is something that you need to bring to God. This is something you need to give up. This is something you need to repent. And I haven't warned them and they're standing before God thinking they're in right standing, but they're not because I have lied to them. That's a heavy weight. One we should all take seriously. It's very serious. We cannot tell people they're not in sin when they are. But that also means we shouldn't be all like, you're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin, I hate you. You know, there's a way, there's a way to go about it. You have no, you have no say in a person's life if you have no relationship with them. If you don't know someone and you're, you haven't loved on them and they're not close to you and you go and drop a bomb, they're not going to listen to you. 
Your, your words have no value to them, okay? If you know them and you love them and they know that you love them, it's different. It's different. You have to have relationship, okay? So what does all this mean? How do we do this, okay? The word used, and I, I wish, don't you just wish that the word they used was different in each text? And I'd be like, oh, this, this word's this, this word's that, done, done deal. But it's not. They use the exact same word. In all these for judgment, they use the same word, except the Old Testament one that's not in Greek, but all the New Testament ones. And the word they use is krino, K-R-I-N-O, okay, just in case you're taking notes. But krino has a wide range of meanings, of meanings. It means to try, to condemn, to damn, to punish, to decree, to sentence, but it also means to distinguish, to decide, to call into question. So we can see with this wide range which, which one he's using, which, which, which definition they're using in each thing, okay? Whether they mean to condemn, to damn, to decree, to sentence, or to distinguish, to decide, to call into question. So we're not to condemn, decree, or sentence but we are to distinguish between good and evil, call out and question Christian character based on their fruit. We are to do those things. But how? How do we do that? How can we do that? How do we do it in love? Um, oh, that was the answer. I gave it all away. Um, how do we know we're doing it the right way with the right heart? Right? And let me just give you like a little, little clue. If you are excited to tell someone where they've gone wrong, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> right? They're like, I can't wait to tell. I've been, pray I've been praying up. <laughs> I got 25 verses to tell this person. I'm going to sit them down. We're going to get all the friends together. We're going to think they're coming to a party, and we're going to have a spiritual intervention. I brought a whip just in case we need it. Right? If, if you're excited about it, you probably have the wrong heart. Whenever I've had to talk to someone about something um, and tell them, hey, I think that you're, you're, you've kind of fallen astray, you know, mostly Daisy, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but you, you're nervous about it. You're praying about it because you're like, Lord, like, so, so often when God wants us to do something, there's a little part of us that doesn't want to do it, Right? Now, and that's just a little clue to if you know you're doing it with, with the right heart. But the Bible gives us further instruction so that we can understand. In Matthew 18, 15, it says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. It doesn't say go tell other people. It says go to them, just the two of you, and tell them. If they listen, you've won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We are to first go to them by ourselves, not spread it with the world, one-on-one, -on -one, discuss the matter. And that's why it's important that you have a relationship with this person. 
Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Might be tempted to judge them. Might be, might be tempted to, to be angry and then go and tell everyone. Be like, well, you know, God says I'm supposed to bring two or three people, so that means I can tell two or three people what went down and where they were wrong, right? We restore them gently. Ephesians 4.15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are to speak the truth in love, gently and in love. If you can't wait to tell the truth to someone, it's probably not in love. We are not to judge the world who does not know better, right? And that's one thing Christians always do. We like make our signs and go and stand on a corner of something that's happening that's like bad. And we're like, you're judged. You're going to hell. That's how I do it. Because you get them more with the monotone voice. You're judged. You're going to hell. You're just over and over. It says we're not to judge the world. They don't know any better. They They don't know Christ, right? The intention of our heart should always be the restoration of those who have fallen. And that begins with love, and it's acted out in gentleness and in mercy, just as God has shown us mercy. But there's also one more way we are not to judge, which we see happen to Jesus in the very next verse. We are not to judge each other for our past. We're not to judge each other for our past. Even Jesus was held in contempt because who he was, and he didn't even sin. He lived a perfect life, but who he was, they knew him as a boy. They knew him maybe as an immature person. They just knew him, and they could not recognize the change. They could not recognize who he was because they already had a, they had a predetermined view of who he was, that he didn't fit into their idea of who he should be. And there's a really, uh, there was a class thing involved. Don't be confused. You know, his father's a carpenter. He's a carpenter. They're saying, this guy, he's a carpenter. He's, he's, like, a, he's like a lower middle class. He, he does not have the power, does not have the authority to be raised up above us and speak down to us and explain things to us because I know where he was. He is not of, I mean, if you were in this class, you stayed in that class and you did not rise above your class. You did not rise above your ranking. And this Jesus... This Jesus, I know what class he was in. I know what rank he was in. He's beneath me. Who is he to speak to me as if he's giving the word of God? That was happening here, and they could not accept who Jesus was because they were judging him. Jesus, even Jesus, was judged. If you feel judged, even Jesus was judged. Even Jesus was judged, and he was judged unfairly, judged unfairly. But in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Does, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. I think one thing that has happened in the church that I think is devastating is people in the church are often wary of telling their testimonies 
people are, are wary of telling their past before Jesus because they don't want people to find out and do what? Judge them. Make it change the way they see them. And so when a lot of times when you hear testimonies, I've talked to people and they tell me their testimony and I'm like, that's so good. You should tell everyone. And then they're like, I'm going to tell my testimony. And they tell the testimony. And I'm like, you left out all the bad parts. That, that, you know what happens? You're stealing the power that God has because the, the worst your testimony, and like if your testimony is all good and you were a Christian your whole life, that's great. But like if your testimony is this bad, right, God brought you so much further from that. And he can use it to speak to people who've gone through the same things. And if we all pretend we never went through anything and we were never bad and we never failed, then everyone who, who has fallen feels like this isn't the place for me. This isn't the ex- place where I can be accepted because these people are perfect because we are lying about who we were. Lying about who we were and we are robbing God of the power to use our testimony for, to see the miraculous when we are not honest with each other. And I understand why we're not honest with our testimony because we think people are going to see me different. People are going to tell people. It's going to change the way people view me. And that is not to happen within the church because God wants to heal people. God wants to heal people. God wants someone to come in the church who, who is just, their life is just nasty on the inside. And, and hear a testimony of like, I was like you. I was just like you. I was just like you. And God saved me. And then that person thinks, if God saved you, they can save me. We've got to get this right. We've got to get this right because God wants to heal people. God wants the dirty and the nasty in the church to be healed. We've got to be honest with each other, okay? We can't judge each other for what we've done in the past. And if a church member falls and fails and we go to them and they repent and come back, then we have to let that go. We have to let that go. Like, well, yeah, they sinned, we, we, but we brought them back into the fold, but I'm watching them. I'm watching them because deep down, I never really liked them. We can't, we can't judge like that. We can't steal the power God has to minister to people through our testimonies. God wants to heal people. And I want to be, I want to be a healthy church. I want to be a healthy church. And the way that we are a healthy church, when, when, how we see God move, how we see people healed, and how we see people in the church walking in truth and walking in love and gentleness while holding fast to the truth of the word of God is by getting this right, by getting it right. Only when we walk in his ways will we be a healthy church. Only when we walk in his ways. And to be a healthy church, we have to get rid of the sickness that lies within. Which means we are to hold each other accountable. If we see someone doing something they shouldn't be doing, if we see, guys, people don't really know the word that well. I've seen it all the time where people are falling. I'm like, hey, you know, I, let me show you in the Bible where it says, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And, and people, sometimes people are like, oh, I didn't even know that. We know that. I know another pastor um, tells a story of when they first got saved, they were so happy about getting saved, they went and got high with all their friends <laughs> to celebrate. Because like, we didn't know. We were just like, yeah. We were just like, this is how we celebrate. We grow. We grow with each other. But that means 
We have to be honest with each other. We can't judge each other for our past. We're not to judge the world. We're not to judge the world, but we are to discern who is following Christ and who is not, okay? We have to discern that. We have to discern who's bearing good fruit and who's bearing bad fruit. And if there is someone in a deep and dark sin and will not repent, we don't put them on the elder board, right? Do you guys agree? Okay, good, good. There's a little like, well, how much money do they make? Um, we have to understand as a church how we are to be, right? And this isn't like a, this isn't like a, a, fun, uh, a fun sermon to preach, and, and it might not feel um, life-changing to you, but we have to remember the whole point of, of, of Jesus, which is bringing people to him and keeping people aligned with him. And this is how we do it. This is how we do it. This is how we are to judge without condemning. Okay? Lord, I just thank you there is so much wisdom in your word. I just thank you that you didn't leave us to figure this all out for ourselves, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that your word is just filled with truth, Lord, that tells us how to govern our lives, how to live alongside each other, Lord. I just pray that you would that you would just bring us together, that we would be close in fellowship, Lord, that, that we could know how to hold our brothers and sisters accountable with the, with the same intention that you have to bring them closer to you. Even the guy that they said to kick out of the church, they said, so that his flesh might go to Satan, so that his spirit might return to God, that he might learn the error of his ways, Lord. Just give us the courage to follow your word, to do what you say, and to do it in love and do it gently, Lord, as you do it. Help us to be a healthy church. Help us to be healthy Christians. Lead us in the way that leads to righteousness. Lead us in the way that leads to everlasting life, Lord. Thank you that you lead us and you don't leave us by ourselves to do this, Lord. We just thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.